Hey Queens of the Minds listeners, this is Andrea and I am here bringing you a special episode from my backyard. I hope you don't mind the noisy birds and the bees buzzing around. I just figured if you're stuck inside, I'll give you a little taste of the outdoors. We're focusing today on a quick little mini episode, something that I think is really important and I wanted to bring it to the attention of my listeners if somehow it has passed you by. Queens of the Minds features the authentic stories of gold rush women who blossomed from the camouflaged, twisted roots of California. In this episode, we're going to discuss the effects that pandemics and epidemics have had on our native populations over the years. Five centuries ago, European explorers, traders, and settlers began traveling regularly to North America, unwittingly bringing with them virus-based diseases, smallpox, measles, chickenpox, influenza, and many more, far too numerous to list. It was devastating for the people that were already living here, who had been isolated from Europeans for more than 10,000 years. Historians believe that east of the Mississippi River, in 1492, more than 2 million indigenous people lived in North America. By 1750, only 250,000 remained. Since Columbus's time, viruses have been shaping American history. The native people who tended to be hit the hardest were between the ages of 15 and 40. With a fully developed immune system, the victim's body turns against itself with a violent reaction to the previously unknown virus. In the villages, nothing stirred. Water was not drawn, crops were left unattended, wild plants were not gathered, Fires were not tended, deer were not hunted, and weapons were not repaired and harvesting fish virtually ceased. At the time, there was then no concept of being contagious or quarantine in the Native communities, and cultural healing rituals crowding around the sick fueled the spread. The devastated communities accepted many of the Natives left without a tribe, and new communities were formed among former neighbors and sometimes among former rivals, finding themselves in sharp competition with others for increasingly scarce resources. Mourning wars had been waged long before the 17th and 18th century epidemics, notably by Iroquois nations, but the frequency and ferocity of those wars multiplied in the wake of this severe dislocation in Native communities. Native nations took captives who were then brought into their nation, replenishing their dwindling population. From 1616 to 1619, a disease epidemic raged that swept the Atlantic coast's Native Americans in New England from Maine to Cape Cod Bay. The Pilgrim's Plymouth Plantation was built on empty land that had been cleared of trees. A few years earlier, before the pilgrims arrived, at least 1,000 Native people were living there, before the virus killed 75% of their villagers. The remaining survivors abandoned the area. And when pilgrims found the skulls and bones laying above the ground, they believed it was a miraculous gift from God. In the next three decades, One half of the people of the Five Nations of the Iroquois League 
the Mohegan and Pequot populations went from a combined total of 16,000 to just 3,000. And nearly the same percentage of Huron people were killed when smallpox surged through indigenous communities around modern western Pennsylvania. 100 years later, smallpox wiped out half of the Cherokee Nation. 20 years after that, smallpox took half of the Catawba people. Native fighters recruited to fight for the French against the British during the Seven Years' War contracted the virus in the East and then infected their communities when they returned home. European explorers, traders, and settlers unknowingly brought the diseases over. But there is documented proof of the British trying to spread smallpox among the Native Americans during Pontiac's War. Pontiac's War was a conflict between the British Empire and Native American nation coalitions. At a conference held to establish negotiation protocol between them, there was a ceremonial exchange of gifts. Records state, Out of our regard, the British gifts included two blankets and a handkerchief out of the smallpox hospital with hopes they would have the desired effect. This is biological warfare. During the 19th century, the relocation of Native people east of the Mississippi River to Indian Territory was called for, known as the Indian Removal Act. This was in itself a U.S.-caused health crisis. On the Cherokee Trail of Tears, the Cherokee's population was reduced by 25% when the U.S. Army, armed on their horses, evicted the Cherokee from their homes. For several months, they were held in concentration camps that were basically death traps. The camps had inadequate shelter, insufficient food, and no source of clean water. 2,000 of the 16,000 native prisoners in the camps died from dysentery, whooping cough, measles, and fevers most likely caused by malaria. Then, the army moved the people, who were all mostly on foot, to what would eventually become Oklahoma and Kansas. As they all moved to the west, and by the time they settled in Oklahoma, at least 2,000 more natives, weak from malnutrition and trauma, perished. The Cherokee Trail of Tears was not the only forced removal. The Modocs, the Creeks, the Seminoles, the Chickasaws, the Choctaws, Ottawas, Miamis, Kickapoos, Pontiacs, and a huge number more are only some of the nations that experienced the same. Some tribes' mortality rates were even higher. One nation lost 85% of their population while being forcibly moved to Oklahoma. Beyond the lack of prior exposure of the disease, the natives now faced adverse social conditions, which made them susceptible to a host of other diseases, including cholera, malaria, tuberculosis, scrofula, typhus, dysentery, and alcoholism. Diseases that took many natives' lives year after year. The result of malnutrition, sickness, and trauma, low fertility and infant mortality hindered population replacement and concrete policies pursued by the United States government and its states and its citizens helped. 
The natives seemed to be defenseless in their immunity, for they previously had no contact with the virus. And although that matters, the social conditions, human decisions, actions, and conditions that were created by European and U.S. colonialism made native communities vulnerable in those spreads and future spreads. The 1918 to 1919 flu pandemic pales in comparison to the losses Native Americans have suffered from disease. 70% of the population. In North America, epidemics have had tragic and devastating consequences for the people who were already living here, the Native Americans. Today, the death toll from COVID-19 grows and among the most vulnerable and most at-risk groups are our Native American communities. Are you enjoying the podcast? Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It is so important. I want to let you know, tonight, this evening, is your last chance to buy any raffle tickets. That's it. May 4th is the deadline. At midnight tonight, a new episode will be released. Midnight tonight. May 5th, announcing the winner. And if you wanted to get a raffle ticket, they are $2 or $15 for $20. Buy Venmo to at Queens of the Mines or Cash App dollar sign Queens of the Mines. Go ahead and check us out on queensofthemines.com. Okay, back to the story. Native American communities, which largely do not collect taxes, are also dealing with the economic impact of the crisis as casinos and their communities close. The overcrowded home situation is at least 16 times the national average. In some reservations, many family members are crowded into households to make ends meet, making social distancing difficult. There is also a lack of access to clean water, which makes hand washing difficult. And many people cannot afford food, hand sanitizer, or other necessities. The healthcare systems that serve American Indian and Alaska Native communities are self governing, and thus the types and amounts of health resources vary significantly. But it's possible to make some general statements about these bigger systems which are mostly underfunded and understaffed. There is an acute shortage of hospital beds, PPE, ventilators, and medical personnel, and they were already in dire need of resources long before the coronavirus pandemic hit. They are far from prepared to meet a pandemic. And they are more at risk due to the coexistence of chronic health problems that afflict these populations. For example, According to the CDC, Native Americans experience diabetes three times more than any other racial or ethnic group in the United States, and they also have the highest rate of asthma. Strict curfews are set and shelter orders are in place. Disobey and face arrest in the hardest-hit Native nation, the Navajo Nation, whose homelands reside in Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. As of May 2nd, 2,373 positive cases of infection and 73 deaths had been reported among the Navajo Reservation's 
170,000 people. Only six states have a higher per capita toll. In the 1860s, the Navajo people were evicted from their homeland as the U.S. Army scorched their cornfields and peach trees, forcing them on a 250-mile march to a barren reservation. This journey became known as the Long Walk, where almost 9,000 natives perished en route, and another 2,500 passed away from disease and starvation during the next four years. You see, severe poverty, addiction, suicide, and crime on reservations take root from these forced removals in the past. Understanding the history of American Indians and disease can bring a deeper awareness to the current invisibility of Native people and how COVID-19 is affecting them. Across the country, infectious disease epidemiologists are working to track infections, model future outbreaks, and suggest strategies to slow down the spread. The Indian Health Services serves 2.5 million tribal citizens in 37 states. It's known as IHS. Within the program, there are only 12 epidemiology centers that serve the entire Native population, focusing on everything from maternal mortality to diabetes. These centers have never faced anything close to this pandemic since their inception. Fears of hidden health emergencies are raising. As we find out, Native Americans are being left out of demographic data on the impact of the coronavirus in the United States. The Natives have a small population here because of genocide. Their genocide is where we will end this first season of the Queens of the Mines. If we eliminate them in the data, it's like they do not exist. If they do not exist, then there is no allocation for resources for their communities. Around 80% of state health departments have released racial demographic data, and half of them failed to include Native Americans in those numbers. Instead, they're putting Native Americans into the other category. This eliminates the Natives with COVID-19 off the radar. Even urban areas that have the highest populations of natives, like New York City and Los Angeles, did not include Native Americans in their racial demographic data. Unlike states and counties, tribes cannot rely on healthcare systems to tell them when their citizens are sick or dying, and they have to collect the data themselves. They are using a 1980s electronic record system. And the COVID-19 surveillance data is being collected manually at IHS. IHS cannot track hospitalization or mortality data for most of its patients because the majority of the IHS facilities do not provide ICU. And so critically ill patients are transferred to non-IHS hospitals, and then they do not notify the IHS of the deaths. This is not a new practice in the United States. An example was this January, when the CDC released its most comprehensive study to date on race and maternal mortality rates. American Indians and Alaska Natives were not even included. The Urban Indian Health Institute found that Native women living in cities were 
1.5 times more likely to die during pregnancy and childbirth than white women by its own research. Initially, the Trump administration resisted providing any relief after COVID-19 to tribal nations. Legislation ultimately appropriated $10 billion to the tribal governments. This is money the tribal governments have yet to see. Senator Elizabeth Warren is one of the Democrats who introduced a bill in April calling for consultation with tribal governments on federal data collection and an additional $3 million for IHS. Warren said, you can't fix what you can't see. At the time, Indian Country Today is the only public national coronavirus database reporting tribal affiliation. Social demographer Desi Rodriguez Lone Bear told the San Francisco Guardian, health disparities are nice words for systematic racism. It's the residual effects of the founding of this country. Until recently, historians and the public have dismissed conflict history and important elements that are absolutely necessary for understanding American history have sometimes been downplayed or virtually forgotten. If we do not incorporate racial and ethnic conflict in the presentation of the American experience, we're never going to understand how far we've come or how far we have to go. No matter how painful, we can only move forward by accepting the truth. I'm Andrea Anderson, and thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let's meet again next time, tomorrow, May 5th, on Queens of the Minds. Yeah.